Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Kraken Coa, where today I'll be digging into the 2019 release of New Mutants Number 1 by Jonathan Hickman, Ed Brisson, and Rod Rice as I continue to explore all elements of the exciting Dawn of X. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Spoilers for New Mutants Number 1 will follow. As today, I'll be answering, what's the role of New Mutants in Dawn of X? Why is New Mutants Jonathan Hickman's first co-writing cameo book? What seeds is he planning here for his X-Men run? Plus, stick around to the end for theories about the Marvel Cosmic Connections New Mutants is setting up for the world of X. Who are the New Mutants? The New Mutants debuted in 1982 in a graphic novel, Marvel Graphic Novel Number 4, written by X-Men scribe Chris Claremont. The original lineup includes Cannonball, Sam Guthrie, Wolfsbane, Rain Sinclair, Karma, Sean Coyman, Psych, Mirage, a.k.a. Danny Moonstar, Sunspot, Bobby DaCosta, Ileana Rasputin, a.k.a. Magic, Doug's, Doug Ramsey, Cypher, Warlock, and a little bit of Magma here and there. This is the next generation of young mutants in the world of X-Men, and it's an important development to return to the Xavier Mansion, to a school for gifted youngsters, and to reinstill the team's purpose of helping new mutants find their way in the Marvel Universe. The series really takes off, though, when Chris Claremont is joined by revolutionary artist Bill Sienkiewicz, delivering such stone-cold classics as the Demon Bear Saga and the debut of Charles Xavier's son, Legion, a.k.a. David Holler. The duo is so strongly tied to New Mutants that they even regrouped for a War Children one-shot special this year, in 2019, and lo and behold, it's quite good. As on Comic Book Herald, I am relatively obsessed with chronology and reading orders and continuity. I will point out here that War Children, the one-shot, is uh, it fits into their 80s run time period of Uncanny X-Men and New Mutants, not the current ongoing, nonetheless well worth checking out for longtime fans. Following Louise Simonson's excellent work writing the title, the original lineup of New Mutants has been somewhat scattered since the 90s. The ex-forcification of New Mutants began when Rob Liefeld was brought on as artist and introduced the likes of Cable and Deadpool through the pages of New Mutants before bringing many of those elements over to X-Force, which was the other X-Men first issue that came out this week. Hickman himself is no stranger to the classic New Mutants. In addition to Sam and Bobby's role in his Avengers run, Bigger than anyone could have anticipated, Hickman and artist Nick Dragota also have a lesser-known series, one of Hickman's earliest Marvel works, Astonishing Tales Mojo World, an oddball six-issue miniseries that stars Sam Guthrie and Bobby DaCosta. Unsurprisingly, then, it's Bobby's desire to take the team to space to recover Sam that operates as the driving action in New Mutants number 1. What have the New Mutants been up to lately? Well, there's been New Mutants Dead Souls, which led into Uncanny X-Men. This was over the course of 2018 and 2019. I don't want to get too into the weeds here on these comics, because frankly, New Mutants number one is pretty clear that while these stories happened, Hickman, Bryson, Bryce, and company are all looking to move forward, really from page one, panel one. Long story short, both the New Mutants Dead Souls mini and Uncanny X-Men, particularly issues 11 to 22, the first 10 or really Age of X-Men prelude, build to a situation where the New Mutants are all taken over by Warlock's techno-organic virus. The team carries forward into the pages of Uncanny X-Men, where some of them are brutally killed. Frankly, Uncanny X-Men devolved into a poorly executed murder fest, and writer Matt Rosenberg has pretty publicly apologized, for, in particular for how upsetting many fans found the death of Rain Sinclair Wolfsbane. 
Which again brings us back to the cathartic release of Hope, found on page one, panel one, of Dawn of X, New Mutants, number one. The other thing that you should know about recent X-Men, Cannonball can't stop going missing in space. The other recurring thread is, well, he likes being in space. At the end of the day, this kind of makes sense, because the Hickman era of Avengers develops a romance between Sam and the Shi'ar Imperial Guard Smasher. They even have a kid together. Most memorably, Sam Guthrie is lost and imprisoned on the Skrull Skrull world, where the Skrulls all pretend to be mobsters. From way back in Stanley and Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four run, I'm going to say issue 93? Could be off there. In the pages of the Al Ewing written U.S. Avengers. At this point, we have to consider that Sam simply prefers being in space. All right. What's the role of New Mutants in Dawn of X? Well, first off, Renewal of Hope. Renewal of younger generations in the world of mutants feeling hope. This is in both a literal resurrection sense and in a broader metaphor. We don't see it much in this issue, but in the early understanding is that the more Ed Breeson focus work will revolve around non-OG New Mutants like Armor and Glob Herman. The kids are the future, and this is the book to deliver that message. Through a single issue, it does so with humor and action. Gloriously, Rod Rice's art mirrors some of the most compelling elements of Bill Sienkiewicz's New Mutant style while still remaining true to himself. For example, in the fight between Ileana and Raza of the Starjammers, we see those big circles of rage over Ileana's eyes in this sort of violent red coloring. It's a very Sienkiewicz look, but Rice also is doing his own thing here as well. This is a a confident, good-looking issue, and I think that's a big part of the pretty like positive reception I've seen of New Mutants number one so far. The other important thing that New Mutants is doing, it's expanding our understanding, or at least the mystery, of Krakoa. This is part 1A of why I see Hickman wanting to take a hand personally in this title, planting seeds, pun pun pun, for the future of Krakoa and mutant kind. It makes sense to do this in New Mutants, where we have Doug Ramsey as a central character, you know, the one who can actually communicate with Krakoa, and here we see him in the early going basically experimenting on Generation X's own Mondo, now a a member of this New Mutants lineup, and his own connections to the sentient island nation. We see Krakoa able to speak in a way that he has not before through the person of Mondo. There are two major learnings from New Mutants number one. Krakoa can inhabit and speak through Mondo, perhaps others, and two, flowers from Krakoa are deadly to certain species of life in outer space. It's this second that feels more obviously foreshadowing. A couple questions immediately come to mind, such as why are Krakoan flowers having this effect, and how will others react when they realize the harm the nation's reach is potentially causing? Plus, what does this mean for those delicious Krakoan drugs the mutants are manufacturing for humankind? Are they perhaps not as benevolent as advertised? Alright, let's brood. Connecting us to space and the Marvel cosmic scene, Skrulls, Shi'ar, and Brood, oh my, this is the most up my alley part of New Mutants number one, as this is the book that connects the world of X to Marvel cosmic. We get a data page here about Benevolence, the space station that the New Mutants and the Starjammers travel to. At the bottom of that page, we get Beware the King Egg, which we're going to talk about in a bit more detail and what that means for the Brood, but we also get just some really fun space marvel cosmic oriented language we're talking scrolls we're talking shiar imperial guard we're talking a space station here that is actually that we've already seen referenced in x-men eagle-eyed readers may remember this from powers of x as one of the homes that mutants uh flock to 
in the uh, X100 timeline that we saw in, in, you know, what was ultimately revealed. And spoilers here for House of X and Powers of Ten. I can't imagine you're reading New Mutants number one not having read that. But in Moira's ninth life. The History of the New Mutants and the Brood. I talked about the New Mutants original graphic novel debut in 1982. Importantly, that same publication year and into the next, Uncanny X-Men number 162 to 167, by Chris Claremont, Paul Smith, and a return Dave Cockrum, gave us a new memorable alien for the X-Men to fear in battle, the Brood. The Brood are not so terribly different from the Phalanx. They infect a host with an egg and pass hive mind memories between hatched broodlings. The Brood are somewhat interesting as cosmic races go because they seemingly harbor little ill will towards mutants, specifically. Instead, more interested in bonding with powered individuals and leveraging those powers for more conquering. Importantly, the Brood are not merely mindless alien predators and are intelligent beings capable of wielding technology and even sending their offspring in a later series to join Wolverine and the X-Men in the form of Brew. This happens in Jason Aaron's uh, Wolverine and the X-Men series in the early 2010s. History of the Brood, Brood Queens, have we ever seen a King Egg before? Well, I don't think so. Historically, the Brood follow the model of Answer Bees, where a Brood Queen is ruler of the community. To my knowledge, there have been no Brood Kings in Marvel before, or if they were out there, they were more or less the worker Prime Warrior drones. For the New Mutants, Brood and Brood Queens are intrinsically tied to their origins. The New Mutants crew actually meets the X-Men when the team returns from space in Uncanny X-Men number 167 and busts into the X-Mansion to beat the stuffing out of a Brood-infested Professor X. Charlie here is actually infested and turned into a Brood Queen before the X-Men come and, well, they, you know, can you call it saving the day if you lose Professor X's body? In this case, yes, because this is the issue that leads to a moment I've liked talking about on Crack and Krakoa, the need for Myra and the Shi'ar to clone a new body for Professor X after his was all brooded out. The end of this issue is when Xavier tells the X-Men he'll be training the new mutants now, and I won't go into this in details here because, again, I've done it elsewhere in conversations about Professor X and Moira McTaggart, but the fact that Moira is this huge driver in the world of X-Men and that it was a brood that actually, you know, resulted in her needing to clone Professor X's body, what, what alterations might she have made, is a really fascinating connection to me. In modern Marvel Cosmic, the brood were actually decimated during the Annihilation Wave and are a shell of their former power. One thing we've seen a lot, is that Hickman likes to connect to his own previous Marvel work, which I am all for. Well, as it turns out, this isn't the first time he's teased the Brood. In both S.H.I.E.L.D. number 1 and technically Infinity number 3, as part of the Galactic Council, we've seen the Brood. Actually, in S.H.I.E.L.D. number 1, there's the big attack on Egypt is a Brood alien invasion, which is stopped by, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Imtohep? Imtoheep? With Apocalypse as one of his S.H.I.E.L.D. agents at his side. They stood in the gap. Nor is this the first time he's teased deep and meaningful cosmic eggs, as many of you who remember the Phoenix Egg in Secret Wars might remember. While it's interesting to theorize that the what the egg might mean moving forward, the king egg of the brood, I personally quite like the idea of Bobby being infected as a brood king and transforming the brood in a similar way that he transformed AIM, Bobby Dale. DaCosta actually became the leader of AIM and, and you know, the, the science, like, terror organization and kind of pushed them towards, you know, more good works um, <laughs> during the end of Hickman's Avengers runs and into some of the work Al Ewing's done at Marvel. I actually think there's a more interesting question here, though. 
Why the hell are the Shi'ar keeping a king egg in a space station? This says more to me about the Shi'ar acting strangely and preparing weapons, possibly for those invasive Krakoan flowers, than anything about the future of the brood in X-Men. Are there other Shi'ar installations out there protecting cosmic eggs, perhaps of a phoenix variety? Isn't it likely that the Starjammers are acting at least in conjunction with the basic wishes of Corsair's son Cyclops? There's a lot here to explore, and I can't wait to see how it unfolds in the rest of New Mutants. So at the end of the day, New Mutants number one, I thought was a very strong, very self-assured issue. It's funny. It's charming. If you're a fan of these characters over the last, you know, 30 plus years, it's a winner. Like this book is in very comfortable, confident hands. Hickman being on board, I think, gives it a level of relevance and and meaning that is just inherent to to him being sort of the mastermind in X-Men and the driving force of, of everything like House of X and Powers of Ten. So this is a must read for me as far as Dawn of X books go. I think it's very good. I think it's setting up a lot. And again, these connections to the Marvel cosmic landscape, the mystery of the Brood King, the Star Jammers, why are they after this? You know, is it just their usual pirating ways or is there something more to it? Plus, what are the Shi'ar doing with cosmic artifacts like this? There's a lot of really fun Marvel cosmic stuff out there that I'm excited for the new mutants to get in the thick of um, because they're, you know, again, like it takes it. Uh, it takes some of the heaviness out of it, or at least it has the potential to, not that this unit hasn't dealt with their own fair share of heaviness. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, I'm Dave with ComicBookHerald.com. If you like the YouTube channel, please like and subscribe. If you like the podcast over on Best Comics Ever, please subscribe there as well. Or as always, go on over to ComicBookHerald.com. Check out my reviews, my writing, my reading order guides, and all of the helpful and useful content for getting into comics that we're publishing over on CBH. In the meantime, thanks for listening and enjoy the comics.